you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. episode of the people people podcast it's been a little while since i've introduced you to who is here and so i'm joined by sparkly brit hello i am and I'm, i think i'm just gonna stop there with the sparkly i'm also joined <laughs> by dave chiswell why aren't i sparkly and graham chiswell hi everyone hi, no, is sparkly, sparkly. <clears throat> I was going to try and think of like clever things for each of you and then I got stressed out in the moment. And <laughs> you got about 33% of the way in. Yeah. I like that. Like, no, I'm done. I like that. I so, got an adjective though. I feel very special. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Uh, but we are the people, people. We are the community team at City on a Hill, Melbourne, which is a true joy um, for each of us. And another true joy for each of us is that this week, Daylight Savings happened. Mm-hmm. We sprung forward, and the good news for everyone is that there is one hour less of 2020 yeah. than before. What a win. Huzzah. And this is such win. a win. <laughs> we are stoked about it. So I hope you got to... You might have lost an hour of sleep, but I'd say it's worth it. I'd say mm. it's worth it for the year that we're having. <laughs> are we fans of Daylight Saving, generally? What's the vibe around Daylight Saving? Absolutely. I know where I sit. I'm a very big fan because Mm. to me, daylight savings represents summer is coming and Mm. lighter days, you know, just happier times. (laughs) Um, I'm a big summer fan, warm weather fan. um, And so I feel like daylight savings marks that, you know, it's around the same Mm. time that you go out for the first time and you don't need to take a jacket and you're like, I'm just going to wear short sleeves. That's that's a good day. Mm. That is a good day. And, and it also just means we can be out longer. Yeah. Like it's when you're out for walks and it's dark, I don't feel particularly safe by myself. But because it's longer, that just means that there's opportunity, mm. more opportunities to be outside. And mm. I think that that's really nice. I feel like I know exactly what dad's about you to say. You probably do, actually, Dave. <laughs> you know what? You can fin- knock off work at 5.30 and oh, still get around going. Me too. Right? <laughs> Go. Yeah. Apparently twilight golf, golf is a thing. Yeah, it is. Because I, oh, yeah. I wanted mm. to play and um, someone said you could do it. Recently? Well, okay. So so I'm in Sydney, so we can legally play. Um, and, yeah. Wow, Britt. Way um, to rub it in. A friend of mine is a big golf fan. Um, and I was like, after all this golf chat on the podcast, I'm keen to play. Yeah. Come on. And then we're trying to work out a time. But I was like, but do I want to give up a lot of hours on my weekend? And I mm. feel stressed at the thought of being people, other people there watching me play. <laughs> um, and he said, well, well why don't you go, you, we, like when it's daylight savings, he said, there'll be time to play in the yeah. afternoons. Yeah. He said, there's less people Twilight there, golf. less pressure. Yeah. So when I don't hit the Perfect. ball, it won't matter. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it's cheaper. That's what cheaper, he also often. said. Yes. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Why? Yeah, just after like two o'clock or 
usually three or four o'clock. Depends on the course. Huh. They just make it cheaper just to get people there. So they say, if you tee off after four, 20 bucks, you can play as many holes as you can fit in before it gets dark. So go. then why do people play so early in the morning? Like, why is it a morning Why would you do that? Sport. <laughs> well, obviously, twilight golf doesn't work super well in winter. <laughs> but also, you get it out of the way. And it's a way of making sure there's no one in front of you. Mm. So, I once played 36 holes before lunch because I got out early. Oh, okay. And it was great. Yep. So, it's about the order and the of greens playing. are fresh. This is going to sound super nerdy, but I'm going to lean into yeah. it. The greens are fresh. And so... Uh, as the sun comes out, the grass grows and they get bumpier. True story. So they are harder to putt on as they get walked on and as the grass grows because it doesn't quite grow evenly. Mm. And then they cut it again the first thing in the morning and they are smoother to putt on. They cut wow. it every morning? Sometimes twice. Wow. That's like cricket and the pitch in cricket and how it gets all bumpy. And so that's why you want to bat first yep. because it's going to get all roughed up and... Sports, guys. That's exactly right. Sports, sports, sports. <laughs> That's exactly right. I, I'm impressed by your level of cricket pitch knowledge. Yeah, there, I know far more about cricket than I ever want to know. <laughs> this is what happens when your sister marries someone who's very mm. into cricket and we had to learn to pretend to care. <laughs> Hello, Matt. Hope you're listening. Well, I love cricket. the joke's up now, Matt. <laughs> we just lost a listener. Thanks, Britt. <laughs> I know what a night watchman is. I know what a slip is. I know what a force follow-on is. These are things I never wanted or need to know. And now we know that you know. Anyway, so that concludes our edition of Sports with the Community Team. (laughs) Oh, boy. Listeners' favourite segment. (laughs) All right. Well, now that that's over, Mm. we've, we've got it out of our system. Uh, which who knew that we all had so much sport talk in our system, but here we are. That's okay. Uh, today we're going to be talking about starting communities from scratch and what people can expect um, because that's something that happens often in churches, small groups start up um, and wonder what does this look like? What is ahead of them? Uh, what does the road look like? But then also just communities in general. Um, you can start a short course. And you're going to probably go through some of these phases as well with, as you get to know people. Uh, there is a book called Leading Better Bible Studies written by Rod and Karen Morris. And they talk about a whole bunch of stuff. Um, it's, a, it's long, but it's good um, it's an and helpful book. if you're... Hmm. It is, yeah. It's very I good if people want to get it. Yeah. And one of the things that they discuss are the five phases of a group. And so we're going to talk through those um, as a way to be able to understand what groups are going to be going through. Um, And then afterwards, also kind of talk about the fact that people are going to be joining groups at various stages um, often. And that comes with a different range of complexity as well. So the five phases of a group, according to this book, are... Now, I should preface that they all rhyme... (laughs) Come on, and here we go. I hate that they all rhyme. <laughs> I would much prefer they all start with like the letter F, but they don't. That's okay. Um, but they are forming, storming, norming, performing, and mourning. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. I don't think they all rhyme. Yeah. I, I think technically mourning no, is just sticks out like a, a sore thumb. Yeah. 
Well, they all. It's got I don't know if that makes it better I, or I, worse. That almost or makes it worse. Actually, the fact Dave. That they rhyme. Yeah. But thanks for that. <laughs> so four of them rhyme, and then one is just set on because it ends in ing, yeah. and yeah. is joined by them. Glad I could. Glad I could contribute yeah. to the podcast. <laughs> thanks for thanks, shooting Dave. that one down. Mm. <laughs> but these are all phases of a group, and they're often in order. But sometimes you can bounce in and out of them um, as the group gets to know each other and different things like that. So we're going to chat about each of them. Obviously, we're going to start with the first one, which is forming. Um, and if I'm being totally honest, I think this is one of my favorite stages of a group. Um, I love the beginning stages where you're getting to know one another. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> um, Dave just enacted his standing desk and was just rising and I couldn't continue. Like he was on an invisible elevator, <laughs> you know, with a slightly panicked look on his face. Like I was trying to be subtle and undistracting, but I felt like standing up and I have a standing desk attachment now and I decided to use it and I wasn't bringing attention to it. <laughs> you, um, but here we are. Like here we are. M. I like, thank you, Graham. Yeah. Um, I like the forming <laughs> stage because I think that it is really fun getting to know new people. Um, I really enjoy that. That's a huge part of my job, but it's also just a huge joy in my life. And I was thinking about a time recently where I joined a new community of people um, through a leadership course that I was taking. Uh, Shout out to my Arrow 21 cohort. It was a really, really great two years. But in that first session, we were all asked to bring something that was really important to us and to then describe it to a group of 30 strangers. Um, And we very quickly found out who the easy weepers were, um, who (laughs) the graphic novel nerds were, um, all these different things. And it was just so awesome. Um, It was such a great time to be able to just get to know one another and kind of realize this is a community that we are a part of for the the next two years. And the course is over and we are still in community with one another, even though we're scattered across the country. And so I think that that's really beautiful, but I know that getting to know each other um, is only an element of the forming stage. Um, I'm imagining... It's significantly more. For some people, it's also quite a... um anxiety inducing uh, that's not for everybody of course that's right for some people um, it, it's actually a hard hard stage that they need mm-hmm. to persevere in and be patient in i think um, that's right so that different different people have different uh, experiences of that i'm sure yeah mm-hmm. yep that's it and i think also a part of the forming stage is setting expectations for the group yeah. Um, it's, hey, we're a new gospel community mm. and we are committed to one another and just even deciding what does it mean that we're committed to one another? Um, mm. What are norms that we're going to have for us? Um, it's about getting to know one another and creating expectation from one another. Because I think, um, and like Chiz, you'll be able to speak into this as the person who oversees our gospel communities. It's really quite a critical phase for gospel communities as they decide who they're going to be within the structure that's provided to them, right? It's enormous. And I think the reason is everyone already has their own expectations. Mm. And so we need to talk about them so that our expectations are all the same as one another. 
because when you have expectation and reality and there's a gap between those two things, that's usually painful. Mm. And so uh, it's not that you come neutral to a new gospel community. You have hopes and dreams for this thing. And that might be that it doesn't take up very much of your time (laughs) or it might be that these people will become your best friends. Either way, you've got expectations. So you have to air them out and have to agree on some sort of set of expectations together because that'll help you work out um, what what can you rightly expect from this group? Because mm. some expectations would be great. They'd be wonderful. But some expectations might be unfair or too specific or something. So I, I think like Jesus has super lofty expectations of Christian communities. And so we want to do that too. There's nothing wrong with high expectations. Uh, but you want to be really careful that you don't have overly specific expectations that don't match Jesus' high expectations because that's when you get into trouble. Mm. And so I think expectation management is just so vital in community because that's when you let people down. That's when you hurt one another, whether you mean to or not. Mm. And so um, any chance you can do, any chance you get to talk about your expectations and revisit those through the year becomes really helpful. How do you uh, help people identify their expectations and then talk about them, Dave? You've got some practical tips about helping that happen. Because often they're, yeah, often I mean, they're unstated, I guess. And, uh, totally. Out there. So you can go in two directions. One is you just ask people what are their expectations. Um, and it might be that they're able to identify them. Or you might need to disguise the question a bit and say, what have you really liked about groups you used mm. to be in? Yeah. Or what, what, have, what did you really hate about your last group? Mm. Um, but just getting it from people and moving out. The other thing you can do is present them with a whole set of expectations and then discuss yeah. them mm. say, hey, here, here's a possible way forward. What do we think? Uh, some of these too strict. Do we want to change the wording? Yeah. Um, whatever it is. So yeah. I, I know a bunch of churches provide a group covenant for groups as they start, mm. and then they get everyone to agree on it and sign it. So that's kind of, here's a, a set of expectations. See what you think and then go forward. Generally, um, with our gospel communities, we, we go the other way. We say, hey, why don't you talk about what are your hopes for this group? Mm. What have you appreciated about previous groups? And um, go from there. But I think they're both mm. legit. Mm. Good. Thanks. Yeah. I think what I've appreciated about having those conversations with gospel communities in the past is even just revisiting them either at the beginning yeah. of each year um, or even I would, like we kind of even had to revisit them at the beginning of COVID. Because we had a really clear, like, we're going to do this and this and this this year. And we were so excited about mm-hmm. it in the first week of February. And then comes the end of March. And we're like, oh, like, this is actually really different now. Mm-hmm. And Good. it's there's almost a higher expectation on people to come. Because you don't have to go anywhere. Like, you can actually still be in your house. And so it's been interesting to see how that's helped attendance in mm-hmm. some ways. Um and I imagine we're going to have to re- revisit them when we go back in person again and figure out the best way to be able to care for one another well and have clear expectations. What do you do in this forming stage if it just becomes clear that there's very different expectations? Like people are wanting very different things out of the group or have very different ideas of how it's going to run. Like what happens? Because you're still in the forming stage, right? So you haven't mm. quite, you don't know these people potentially or, you know. Um, so how, how do you navigate that? So the thing about the forming stage is everyone's super polite <laughs> all the time. Almost everyone, right? Maybe not everyone, but almost yeah. everyone. And the thing that happens in the next stage, the storming stage, is people opt out. 
they won't rage quit and storm out. Mm. They just won't turn up the mm. next week. And that's often what happens. That's often how this is dealt with. And that's totally normal. So if that happens to you and, and you're a group leader, don't feel like you're doing it wrong. That's, that's just what happens sometimes. Um, but you can avoid that if you're able to lead well in the forming stage by encouraging a little bit of conflict because it's unlikely to come up by itself, right? If someone offers an expectation that they have as a group and someone else disagrees, no one's going to want to have that conversation on night one. So uh, it's a matter of trying to read the room, get to know people over time. Uh, you don't need to set them in stone on week one. Mm. It might be that you refine them over time, see if there's a compromise you can arrive at. Uh, but also it's totally possible that someone realizes this is not the group for me because my expectations mm. of this are wildly different. And um, that that's a shame, but it's also normal. Mm. So that's not a super positive answer for you, Britt, but someone will probably leave. That's, that's the headline. <laughs> uh, but you can work really hard to to get past the politeness mm. so that you can have those conversations. Because I think you'll find if people are happy to talk about their expectations and realize they're different, there's probably a compromise that you can land at. Mm. Mm. That's helpful though, because I think sometimes small group leaders take a lot on mm. their shoulders and often mm. feel like things like people not coming are entirely, like they take entire responsibility for that. And maybe it's helpful just to remember that, I mean, this sounds like it's just kind of the pattern of group formation, that it's just mm -hmm. normal and yeah. it's okay. Mm. And it's, um, yeah, I hope that that is a little bit liberating potentially for small group leaders. Yep. Mm. Yep. Mm. And it's not a failure of the forming stage. It's not a failure of the storming stage. That There needs to be no failure for someone to realize this is not the community mm. for them. In fact, that could be a success because it means you've defined your identity as a group. Mm. And if someone doesn't want to operate within that, then that's okay. It, it might be harder to keep them around um, if they're going to keep making that a difficult vision for you to move towards. Mm. Mm. You've helpfully set us up for the next stage, Dave, of storming, the storming stage where people are less polite, <laughs> which I think is almost, it's almost always a good sign in a group when people are more themselves and more honest and like there are times where I'm chatting with people and I'm like, oh man, they're being so polite to me. I don't think this is actually who they truly are. And not in a, it's not done in a two-faced way at all, I don't think. I think it's just done in a, is this a safe place for me to be me? And until I know that, I'm going to be on my best behavior kind of thing. Um, so I always really love it when we kind of get to a stage where people feel comfortable to be themselves and to joke around a little bit. And also then to be able to share really vulnerably with, is what comes with the, the, the leaving of politeness as well. But Dave, as you mentioned, it can also lead to conflict within groups and can lead to disagreements, which I also don't think are a bad thing. Totally. I, I'm a big fan of, like, I'm a conflict avoider as much as anyone I know, but I'm a big fan of conflict within small groups. And I think it's because it leads to better studies and better discussions and better relationships. It's a matter of doing the conflict really well. Mm. So uh, when I lead groups, I try and create conflict in a structured and helpful way so that people see it's okay. So I, I want to be the first person in the life of a group to push back 
on an answer that someone's offered so that people see, hey, it's it's allowed for us to disagree with one another, but it're also safe. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we all st- still friends. No one thinks anyone's stupid. Um, but when, when I'm because you, you see it all the time in Bible studies, right? Someone says something about Jesus and no one feels permission to disagree. Mm. So as a leader, I, I try and often step in quickly and early in the life of the group, might be week two, week three, and say, hey, can I push back a bit and offer a different solution and then see what other people think? But just trying to create tiny moments of conflict, um, not between people, but between ideas so that people can see it's safe to disagree. And actually, that'll help us sharpen one another. Mm. It's probably a, um, <clears throat> just in terms of, you know, thinking of one aspect of our small groups where we meet around the word, um, probably an asp- uh, part of it is as it's a group learning kind of thing. So this idea of different people bringing different things to the text and having the text shape what they think. Um, you, you imagine... Um, that that's not always you'll have different views, but part of doing that well that the what the Bible says is kind of shape what we're learning will involve that kind of uh, the ability and to um, to disagree or push back or tweak. You know, is that is that what that passage says? You, you, uh, I think that's mm. it. It's not just my opinion trumps yours. It's well, I'm looking at the same passage and not quite getting exactly what you're saying what about this bit in the passage does that fit with what you've said so so it really enhances the group learning process which is what it is it's not a sermon it's not a monologue it's the group together around a text helping each other understand it and then apply it to life and uh that that inevitably would bring different perspectives and Mm. people notice different Mm. things in the text and um their different Mm. life circumstances for the application part um so mm. it will bring up differences and the ability of the, the group to handle those differences in a constructive way is actually quite important for it to operate well as a, um, mm. a, a group of people gathered around Jesus and his word. Yeah, Absolutely. And if you flip it, if you go to a gospel community or a small group Bible study and you agree with everything that's mm. said, the chances are you haven't learned anything mm. new. Mm. Mm. You've just been reminded of stuff, which is valuable in itself. It's not you. You don't have to learn something new every time, mm. but disagreement is a fundamental part of learning. You, you need to change your mind about things. That's what learning is, mm. and so that's a really important ingredient for our communities. Very quickly, has anyone got tips on how not to disagree? Because I feel like this is great in theory, can potentially in practice. Mm. Just mm. any quick advice on how to not disagree, or what? How do, how do we disagree lovingly and well so that people still feel? Because I'm guessing on week two, if you feel like you get shut down completely, absolutely, that's yeah. going to hurt. That's mm. going to be hard. But uh, yeah, just any advice people have got? I think um, well, one thing would be patience in the forming stage. I think it's you um, you do that as a, as a patient work of acknowledging this is the time we're getting to know each other and accepting each other and showing that's a safe place and also in those uh, as you set those expectations within those expectations are the way that you're going to um, interact and agree and sometimes disagree even even saying it's focused on what the text says and we will have different ideas and perspectives on that from time to time and Mm. we in this group 
one of the expectations is we're allowed to speak up um, what we think uh, the, the Bible says, but also uh, respectfully. I think values like respect, gentleness, love, they get set in the forming stage and I think make it uh, a, a bit mm. bit easier to do when you do have those differences coming out. Mm. Yeah. That's just a couple of That's thoughts. That's Mine is a less Christian answer mm. than that, but I think being aware of power dynamics is huge as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're the leader of a group and you disagree with someone who's brand new, that's mm-hmm. going to be really confronting for them. Um, but if you, uh, so I, I'll I'll look for the smartest, most confident person in the room and try and disagree mm-hmm. with them because I know they can handle it. And that'll model to everyone else that disagreement's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also it doesn't make anyone who already feels small feel even smaller. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm careful not to disagree right, with so. people who don't have a lot of confidence yet. Yep. Um, and, and often, like one of my favorite things is playing devil's advocate. And so pick the side of the little person in your group and join their team mm. and argue their side of things. Because any conflict is good conflict for everybody's learning, right? But uh, you want to be careful about who the conflict is between. Mm. You don't want nice. um, David versus mm. Goliath too often. Mm. Good one. Mm. And I think learning the difference between arguing with a person and arguing the idea. Mm. Like, is this something we can throw in the middle of the table and we can all just have a go at it? And like more often than that, not that's going to be the opportunity in the group. Um, very rarely, totally. at least in groups yep. that I've been, it's been a person. Um, and yeah. when it, yeah, I think that's when it gets really messy because if it's one person, it's... All- the times where I have seen it, it's been like, oh, no, that's actually super, super incorrect. Like, not just bad, but like heretical. You know, like people saying Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Actually, that's not an issue we're going to put on the middle of the table and bat around. We're going to speak truth into this moment. And how do we do that without throwing that person onto the, in, under the bus? Um, yeah. Like, there's just times where it's like, this doesn't actually have to be attached to a person at all. Like... Mm. They brought up a great point. Let's go at it. Um, mm. So one of the things we train our gospel community leaders in is to be a referee, not a firefighter. Mm. You're gonna be, your, your job is not to settle the argument or put the fire out and avoid the conflict. It's to make sure it's a fair fight. Mm. And so uh, you want to make sure people are being kind and loving all the time and speaking the truth in love and playing the ball, not the man, and all those kind of things. That's mm. your job as a leader in this group. It's not to put out the fire and settle the argument. Mm. You can let other people do that. But being aware of the relational dynamics mm. is key. Just a very quick thing on relational dynamics. Just something I've noticed from doing ministry for years, and I do a lot of women's ministry. Just be mindful, I would say, to leaders that men and women can argue in different ways or just, or this is even not even necessarily male or female, but like for some people, a raised voice is really... Um, they yeah. find that really hard. Like that's just naturally how they, they get excited. They raise their voice. They're just passionate. For other people, a raised voice indicates mm-hmm. I'm really angry. I'm really, mm-hmm. or like this is quite aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <coughs> I would just say also, yeah, as you're refereeing, be aware. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and this is good, like, I don't, this is point. a whole thing that could be talked about for a long time. But great point. I would yeah. also just say yep. be aware maybe of how different people argue. And just generally in girls groups, I've seen females mm-hmm. groups, there's less conflict normally. Um, 
And so, actually, I can't say, I don't know that because I've never been in an all boys group, but like, <laughs> um, mm. maybe be aware that this is a little less normal yeah. for female groups to have mm. it's good rigorous uh, or potentially conflict or, um, and so that's just my one piece of advice. Beware nice. of male female dynamics as well. And new Christians and mm. Christians who are a bit more gospel literate, um, again, be aware that that's a dynamic that would massively be at play. People who are often pretty yep. new to it feel very, as you said, she's like they're the ones who might be feeling small. They're like, I, I shouldn't be here. I don't know enough. And um, protect them and how they're being spoken to is really important. Mm. Yeah, it's great. We're going to jump into the norming stage, which actually I think we can blitz through. <laughs> Like, cause, because the normal, like the norming stage is the, hey, we know how this goes. Like, that's actually a really great place to go. Um, you understand what your conflict is going to look like in the group. You understand the expectations that you have for one another. Um, everyone's less polite. Everyone's more themselves. Like, you rock up to the North Melbourne gospel community on a Wednesday night and you know what you're walking into for 80% of the night. Um, and I think that's, that's a really nice stage to get to. <laughs> I, I feel like often you kind of get to that and you're like, okay, and release. Like well, now we can, like, mm. it's almost like at that point, it's something that you, almost everyone's looking forward to being at. Like it's because there's, it's, there's a safety there. Um, so then it jumps into the performing stage. Um, and this is a great, I mean, they all have their strengths. Um, but what I, I think I love within the performing stage is that all the group members are contributing well. Like there's, there's regular voices in the room. It's not just leader answer, but it's leader comment, 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 leader again. Like it kind of bounces around a little bit more healthily. Um, there's more rel like relational responsibility between the group. Um, and so there's real strength there of. Like, I'm going to own my responsibility to you as my friend. Like, it's, it's more than just the two hours on the night. Um, mm. it's, a, it's a broader thing. And I think what is also quite helpful in this stage is that we're, we, we get to see fruit. And, I, like, I know that, Dave, we've, we've discussed in past weeks how you might not always get fruit every week. Like, it's, it's going to be a, it's a long game being able to see people bear fruit and to see them grow. And I think this is kind of the stage where we get to see that start to happening um, mm. because you have more time to reflect on. You don't have two weeks mm. of storming through and creating expectation and learning how to do conflict, but it's like, ah, oh, like we've, we've got mm. history now. And there's something beautiful right. that history gives gospel communities. Mm. Mm. And I think... There's a lot of overlap between the norming and performing mm. stage. If you used other words, maybe it's you're comfortable and then you're really fruitful in the second stage. But but I think often the, I've noticed the trigger for moving from the norming stage to the performing stage is some sort of crisis. Mm. Interesting. So your group might be really comfortable. Everyone gets along fine. You enjoy being there. But then someone needs care or someone mm. admits to some really difficult stuff going on or... You just need to buy them a fridge as a group or something. And suddenly that's when you you move into, We our group bought Emily a fridge oh, one go. time. That's why I use that example. <laughs> but it took me um, like half an hour to notice when I got home. 
It was really, it was really no, stressful. Was it wasn't there before. No, because it was replacing an old fridge. Uh. And then all, all of a sudden I was like, Amy, is this different? And she's like, uh, yeah. And you've been in the fridge since you've been home. <laughs> but I still have the note that was put on it and it's still on my current fridge as well. So, Oh, oh that's nice. But that's my only reflection mm. that often moving from norming to performing, yeah. uh, you do it seamlessly, but you realize you've done it when you're able to care for each other mm. in the midst of suffering. Mm. Nice. That reminds me of your gospel community, Graham. Um, when you've shared that story of someone in your group's house being mm. burgled and just the way that everyone really rallied and like there would be some things that, you know, are irreplaceable in those circumstances. But I think also the love that you were able to give them mm. Mm. is like irreplaceable as well. And that like being yeah. able to show up and be like, hey, we're yeah. in we're in this with you. Did that mark yeah, a shift for your gospel community? I, I think it I think it, w- it was uh, yeah very helpful. That is, um, we we actually gathered some money so uh, this member could choose what they replaced and how to replace it. And mm. uh, it was a gift that kept on giving. In that uh, she chose carefully, so it was over a number of months. And um, you know, she turned up with a I think it was a, a necklace that she mm. uh, bought with the money and just as a group moment. It was, yeah, it was wonderful. It was kind of a, we celebrate together. Um, and then there was another piece of jewelry she bought a bit later. And um, so, uh, yeah, it was, it was significant for our, both our stepping up together to do something really um, for one of the group members we loved and for her sense mm. of, yeah, this group really cares, was uh, significant for us. Mm. 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 It was good. I love that. I, lo- I mean, I could listen to stories all day of mm. gospel communities that rise to the occasion. Mm. Mm. And, and whether it's in these moments of crisis or who just love one another well, mm. um, there's, mm. it's one of the greatest joys, I think, of mm. our jobs is being able to hear from the front line what is happening in our gospel communities and the way that God is moving and shaping and growing in their walks with him, but then also how he's moving and shaping and growing their relationships with one another. Um, and I think that these are really beautiful like health markers <laughs> for gospel communities is, okay, crisis came, what happened? Like how did people... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. jump in how did how are they present um and I, like that's something that the whole group can own it doesn't like it doesn't matter who runs it like it doesn't matter who drives it it's something that the whole group can own because that has been something that you have set up each week as you've gotten to know each other you've been a part of forming this and i think that that's really yeah i think it's really beautiful and so i love hearing those stories mm. um the final stage is mourning and i think that this can be a really confusing stage for small groups m-o-u-r-n right yes a-m not Not like like the the sad morning ladies but like morning (laughs) so it's not just the ing it's the or sound as well right 
that's right. Yeah, so yeah. this is the one that doesn't match the rest of them, <laughs> in case anyone's <laughs> wondering. Um, but depending on the catalyst for change is what makes this stage, I think, can be confusing. Um, sometimes it's, I, I think it's almost always sad, but whether it's expected or not, I think is where it hits. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, thinking about like my arrow cohort that I was talking about, like we finished, you know, we had our final residential, we had our graduation, we had our all of that. And then it was just over. And we knew that from the very first, very first day we knew when our last day was going to be. But it was still very, very sad, you know, and we're still planning Res 5 in Bali whenever COVID is gone. Um, but then with gospel communities, it's really different. Um, the way that we shape gospel communities is, isn't like to the calendar year, but is throughout the year and can roll on into the next one. And I think, therefore, when they kind of close, it's different. Like the shift is different. Sometimes it's unexpected. Sometimes it's not. So are we saying that, sorry, just to clarify, Em, mourning is when the group ends. So it's not necessarily the group going through a difficult thing and mourning it together as in like, you know, but it's the mourning of the ending of the group is the mourning stage, like the group has ended? Yeah. Death of the group. Okay. (laughs) Ooh. And so, and so sitting on a really hill, darkly. we don't have a set date for groups to end, correct? Because at my old church, we pretty much groups ran for the calendar year and then it was, mm-hmm. there wasn't an expectation that the group continued. Sometimes they would, but it was kind of like we wiped the slate clean at the end of the year and then, and so why don't, why don't we mm. do it that way at City on a Hill? Mm. Just curious. It's a great Not question. A criticism, just yeah. a curious question. <laughs> yeah, we don't do it like that for a few reasons so we run groups indefinitely but we find the average group lifespan is about three years we also find that across that three years the turnover of a group is about a hundred percent so over the course of three years you might Mm. have the same leaders but you're unlikely to end up with the same members at the end of that time Uh, that that's generally true not true for everyone so um that that's kind of how our groups tend to run for about three years. There's a couple of reasons they end. One is they multiply. So one group becomes two groups. And at that point, you're still in the mourning phase. You're saying goodbye to some good friends. Mm. And that's a tricky thing. Uh, But there's a lot of great things about that. You're starting a new group with new opportunities. Um, it, It might also be that the group's not feasible or viable the moment it needs to close and we send people out into other groups Um, but there's a few reasons groups close Uh, the reason we do it like that rather than on a structured yearly schedule um, I think it's because we've just had um, so many new people wanting to join groups so often Mm. I I think uh, we haven't had the luxury of setting things up to run to a schedule because at any one time, there's somewhere between five and 50 people wanting to join a new mm. group. And so if we start all the groups at the same time, it's much more disruptive to keep adding people to them throughout the year than it is if we have a group that keeps running bit by bit over the course of three years that's able to incorporate new people as they come. And so rather than saying, this is when the group starts and this is when the group ends, we tend to have to say, this is a group. And it's going to keep changing and morphing in a number of different ways. And that's okay. That's great. 
it'll grow bigger, it might grow smaller at some points, but you're going to have a steady stream of new people coming through mm. your group so that over the course of three years, you probably have an entirely new group. But doing that gives you a bit of stability to the group so that the thing you're welcoming people into is in the norming or performing stage. Because mm. that can be a really helpful thing for a new person to come in and feel like this is an established group already. Uh, it, you need to acknowledge that there's a new person in the room mm. and help them do their own forming and storming as well. Uh, but mm. if you've got an established group to welcome people into, they're going to find community much quicker than if you're in a group that's only been together for a month and then they get three new people. And they have to go from storming back to forming and jump between those two things. So we give, we give groups a longer run up mm. to establish their own identity and sprinkle people through bit by bit rather than all at once. Mm. But I think growth is probably the reason that's happened. So it's not that it's much better the way it has to run. There's benefits to both models. But we've done it that way because if we didn't do it that way, we'd find a lot of people who find it really difficult to crack into gospel communities, I think. Mm. Yeah, I like that. I like that way that you've put it, like giving them a longer run up. I think that's, I think that's helpful. Uh, and I think it kind of also keeps groups from becoming overly clicky um yep. if it's that group and that's it um for the year it doesn't really celebrate a, like a growing church it doesn't celebrate welcoming new people in um and like creating space for people to find community and i yep. like that's hmm. um that would be a real shame, actually. And I think that that would be a real disservice definitely to the new people, um, but also a huge disservice to the group itself. Um, mm. I've really loved this year the way that new people have joined our group and, you know, meeting them in person and hanging out in person will be nice one day. Um, but it was really nice to be able to provide for them, you know, five or six of us that were pretty stably connected mm. in. And have them have a like a landing place that was, hey, you're welcome here. And we're really glad that you've joined. Um, and we don't always revert back to being polite. And so there's sometimes a baptism of fire with some of the guys in our group. But, you know, there's this there's a safety element to that as well of like, hey, you're welcome here. We really want you to be a part of this. And so creating space for new people to be able to join when you're already in the norming and performing stage is huge. And mm. it's going to look different, I think, for every group <laughs> because every group has different personalities. Mm. They have different expectations mm. that they set up at the beginning. Um, right. And like one of the expectations that we put with our group was you, we will be welcoming new people through mm. this group mm. this year. Um, yeah. And it's, it's in my home <laughs> when we're in person. And I love being able to say, I want people in my home that are able to join. Like this is a place where you are welcome. And mm, mm. that has helped me be more socially generous with my space. Um, and I think has mm. also helped us as a group to be like, until we physically run out of space here, you're welcome. And then when mm. we physically run us out of space, we'll call cheers and you know, we'll make a plan to, to multiply and to go from there. Yeah, it's great. And and one of the best things about new people coming to a group is it gives you a chance to revisit your expectations as a group. Mm. It gives you a chance to re-agree on them. And so we used to do something whenever someone joined our group 
is uh, we'd ask them the questions we asked ourselves at the start of the year. Hey, what did you really like about your last group? Mm. Or what are you hoping to get out of this group? But then we'd ask everyone who's been part of the group, what's your favorite thing about this? What's something you're really grateful for? Just to help everyone re-express their expectations and their commitment mm. and their enjoyment. Mm. It's mm. a great excuse as a leader to hear about what's going well because no one, not enough people will tell you that it's going well unless you ask a question like that. So it's a really encouraging thing for the group for new people to come because it gives you an excuse to ask questions that might otherwise feel a bit self-seeking, like <laughs> what do people like <laughs> about the group that I lead? <laughs> but when a new person comes in, that's a really useful <laughs> thing. Good yeah. So those are the five phases of a group. So when you're starting from scratch, that's a little bit of what you can expect. <laughs> it's, it's not going to be a cookie cutter by any beans. But I've always found it helpful to at least have signposts along and be like, okay, what can I maybe expect a little bit? And there are a lot of things this year that we have learned that we do not have control over. Uh, but there are some things that are just built into the way things work. And I believe that these are just things that we can build into the way that small groups work, that gospel communities work. And... So, yeah, that's why we've gone through them. That's why we found them helpful in the past as we've been in gospel communities and we've either started them from scratch or joined halfway through the year or whatever that's looked like. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we, our hope and our prayer is that this is equipping um, for our small group leaders, but also anyone who's in a small group. Like to maybe stop and think, hey, where are we at? Like, did we skip a step? Like, mm. do we have all these mixed... Like, if you have mixed up expectations then maybe this is a great place to be able to pause to order some pizza and get out a whiteboard it's and a whiteboard is always helpful we should have added that in our tips mm, like we have yeah. had whiteboards at every one of mine for the last couple of years and it just helps being able to see the expectations all about the whiteboard all about the whiteboard all the butchers we paper. love the whiteboards all the butchers paper that's right that's a yeah, giant post-its, whatever you need as a group to be able to get it on down, you go right ahead. A butcher's paper sounds like nails on a chalkboard to me. Yeah, oh. I just get a shiver when I hear a texter on the butcher's paper. You can oh. bring it out later, right? You can refer to it back. Yeah. Anyway. Yes, you can. That's true. If only there was a way to like capture the things you'd written on a whiteboard with some sort of photographic <laughs> recollection of them. Have you done oh. that though? Like realistically, oh. have you gone back to okay. those photos? <laughs> Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, two tips from the Chiswells. <laughs> you know, take them or leave them. <laughs> See, look at us having good conflict. <laughs> and on that note, friends. It's time for the morning phase of this podcast. <laughs> we. Of this episode. This episode. This episode. Not the whole, not the whole podcast. No, that's right. Not the whole podcast. Be back next week. Back next week. <laughs> Make sure you subscribe. Tell your friends. And until next week, friends, keep trusting Jesus. Wash your hands. Bye. Bye. See you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.